today we are going to learn what it means to steward the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we've been entrusted with a living hope. And our endurance in the midst of trials testifies to the basis of our hope, which is the life, death, resurrection, judgment, and reign of Jesus Christ. But what does that look like in our lives when we live it out? What does it look like to be in the midst of struggle, to be in the midst of trial, and to reflect hope? I mean, let's just be real. You know, last night as I was studying, I was like, dang, God, I'm a punk Christian. I was like, I am a punk Christian. I stubbed my toe and I'm like, God, you forsaken me. I don't got enough money to go to Wingstop. And I'm like, Lord, you said you'll provide all my needs and wants from Wingstop. My car got in a wreck. And it's easy for me to freak out. I'm like, but God, my car's jacked up. God is messed up. What if I can't make it to Menlo Park to go study and I break down the side of the road? Why would you leave me like that, Lord? But when you begin to look at the life of the Christians in the first century, when you begin to look at the way in which they lived out their hope and the circumstances and situations in, in, in which they lived out their hope, you don't want to slap yourself. And we're going to look at, this, that, look at that this morning because as I was studying, as I began to read Thessalonians and I began to read what the church went through during that time, I was like, dang, Gina. I need to step up my game. Because if what, if the way in which they were living is meant to be the way in which I'm called to live now, damn, I'm far from it. But there's hope. There is hope. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica that he planted, made up of Jews and Gentiles. And he says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work, Produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn from the from turn turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. You see, in order to understand why Paul is giving thanksgiving before God, in order to understand why he's so thankful about how the Thessalonians are living, you have to understand first of all how they were living and why they were living that way. Paul, before he comes to Thessalonica, Thessalonica, he goes to Philippi, he goes to Derby and Lystra, he goes to Iconium, and in every single one of these cities that Paul goes to, he comes face to face with persecution and suffering. And so the context when he gets into Thessalonica is nothing different. 
As he shares the gospel, if you read in Acts chapter 17, you'll see that a mob was stirred up against Paul. And in the midst of him sharing the gospel and telling these Christians who were receiving this letter, sharing with them about Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection, the judgment that all will rise from the dead and everyone will have to stand before him, all these things that Jesus reigns and he is Lord. In the midst of all these things, Paul's enduring persecution and suffering. He's being beaten. I mean, in Philippi, he was in prison, right? We read that we read the Acts, the Acts narrative, and it shares with us what was happening with Paul and Silas while they were in prison. They were sharing the gospel, and they were put in prison in stocks, and they were going to be killed. But in the middle of the night, what are they doing? They're worshiping God. I mean, if that was some of us, including myself, I'd be like, Dang, Jesus, you left me, Lord, why? I got to go see my baby. I, gotta, I love her, God. I got to go visit her right now. But God, why did you let me go through this? We look at the context in which Paul wrote this letter, and we see that the lives of the Thessalonians, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, was one that caused Paul to greatly rejoice. And to give thanksgiving. It was one that he can look at their lives and he didn't say, you were, he didn't write, you're complaining. You're going through struggles and you're complaining. He didn't write, man, I hear about how you guys lost your jobs because you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you guys are mad at God and you're fed up and you're discouraged. So I want to encourage you right now. Let me paint a little bit more of the picture for you. In this first century, emperor worship was absolutely rampant. I mean, let's be real. We get mad because someone clowns us for wearing a Jesus shirt and calls us a freak, right? And we're like, dang, I try to tell, Jesus, tell, tell someone about Jesus at work, and they made fun of me. They said I'm like some holy roller and some just weirdo and all this kind of... And we're like, dang, I'm suffering persecution. <laughs> to this church, they can walk outside of their homes and see idols erected to God's. They would go down the street and there'd be temples to Caesar where they would be worshiping the emperor. It's like walking outside and seeing a temple or a church erected for President Obama. And at any point, they could tell the Christians that they needed to worship Caesar at that moment. And they had to or else they would be beaten, stoned, persecuted for their faith. So Paul's writing to a church that is enduring these type of things, going, to the, going through these type of struggles, enduring this kind of suffering. But he, you don't find him writing to just encourage them. You find him writing to thank God for the way in which they're living in the midst of it. You find him saying that your lives are a reflection for all the world to see of the hope that you have. Your lives are representing something that goes far beyond your circumstance or situation. He's saying, listen, you imitated us as we imitated the Lord. Literally, you took the gospel. You took what I told you about Jesus being persecuted, Jesus suffering, Jesus dying at the hands of of the Roman leaders. You took that and you made it yours. You saw my life. You, You heard how I suffered in Philippi. I mean, think about this. When Paul went and preached the gospel to the Thessalonians, it wasn't like Doxy said, hey, you believe in Jesus? Guess what? The the emperors won't even mess with you. You believe in Jesus? Guess what? You won't have to worship idols. But not only that, everybody's going to love you. Dude, you believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, everybody's going to want to give you stuff. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. And you'll never have to go through struggle again. You know what the gospel was that Paul preached to them? 
My Jesus, he lived. And he suffered at the hands of the world. He died on a cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that life doesn't just end at death. But not only that, he rose from the grave and was ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he reigns not only in judgment, but as a ruler who loves his people. And he not only reigns in heaven, but he also reigns with his people. You want that? Because guess what? If you receive that, you might get beat. But it's truth. Do you want that? Because after you die, you'll go to live with God, and he'll be with you in the midst of struggle. But that struggle might look like you get separated from your family. Y'all want that? You can have joy in the midst of it. It's good. But guess what the people did in in Thessalonica? They received it. They said, that's truth. That's truth. That's a hope that goes far beyond what we're seeing right now in this world. It's real. And it doesn't matter what we're going to have to endure because of it. It's truth. And because it's truth and Jesus really is alive, then yes, I want that. And who cares what I have to go through to live that out? Paul was writing to share of their endurance inspired by their hope. Their hope that Jesus was going to return. Their hope that Jesus reigns above all things. Their hope that he rose from the dead far greater than sin. Far greater from the consequence of sin, which is death, and that ultimately he rules over all things. So even if they're persecuted for their faith, even if Caesar takes them out of their home, takes all their possessions from them, they still know that their Jesus reigns. That even if they're going through sickness and struggle, they still know that their Jesus reigns. Therefore, their endurance was inspired by their hope. And Paul's writing to say, I thank God because of all of that. And not only do I thank God that you're living it out, But I thank God that the fact that everybody around the world is hearing how you believe in this Jesus. Everybody around the world in Macedonia and Achaia, believers everywhere, they're hearing how you're willing to be persecuted for your faith, yet you have joy given by the Holy Spirit. They're They're hearing how you're going through suffering and struggle and trial. And though it looks crazy to them, it's inspiring hope inside of them. They know that there must be something legit there. And I want to look look at this morning, what does that word endurance mean? Because he said they're going through this, they're going through the struggle. They're going through this persecution. They're going through this suffering with an endurance that is inspired by their hope. You see, when we go through struggles, a lot of times, there's two types of struggles that we go through. There's one that's self-inflicted, and there's one that's just situational, Right? A self-inflicted one. Yasmin, don't tell the managers about this, okay? So when I worked at Texas Roadhouse, uh, Texas Roadhouse is bomb, all right? So it was fun, gained some weight, okay, gained a lot of weight, but uh, it was a good place to work, right? And so we're working there, and there was one time, I mean, I, I had strong integrity. My integrity was intact, legit. And right, I mean, you can work at a restaurant, a lot of times you got servers who will give uh, drinks away and give a bunch of stuff away to friends and family. But I was like, oh, heck no, I don't care who rolls up in that piece. You know what I'm saying? I got to be legit. Pops, I'm sorry, you got to pay though, you know what I'm saying? I love you. My dad's here. I love my dad. He's such an awesome man. I'm just so thankful for him and my brothers, my sister. Um, But anyway, so yeah. PB came up in that place one time. I was like, PB, I love you, man, but you got to pay. You know what I'm saying? You got to pay. I got to pay. You got to pay. But then one time, just one, just a little time, I had some friends come in, 
And out of my fear of what I was going to look like in their eyes, to just be real, that's what it was. Out of my fear of what I was going to look like in their eyes, I, I got their drinks. I put it on the bill and everything. But then I went to the manager. They didn't ask me to do this either. All right, you got this was self-inflicted. This was out of my fear. And I was like, hey, um, went to the manager at the time, and I said, um, and I'll put some drinks on their bill, but they really didn't order drinks. Um, can you take them off? I straight up lied. Heck of fake, right? I'm confessing, all right? <laughs> I straight up lied. It seemed like a little lie. I mean, it's drinks. Come on. They, they're not making heck of money off drinks. And, and anyways, I'm going to get all that. But it's drinks. Everybody does it at work. Matter of fact, people do it all the time, and it's no big thing. But the minute I told them that they ordered drink or they didn't order drinks, but I charged them for it, the Spirit of God hit me. And I was like, dang. I just straight lied. I couldn't remember the last time I lied. I couldn't even remember. My dad probably could, but I couldn't, right? <laughs> and so at that moment, I, I just like was like, oh, dang, I got to deal with this. And so I went in and just uh, the days went by. And I came to Pastor Benjamin to his office. And I was like crying, right? I'm like at his office. I'm like... PB, I got to talk to you. And he's like, what? Like He's thinking, dude, did someone die in your family? Did you fall into gross sin? Joseph, what happened, right? He's like, dude, come on, what's going down? And I was like, I got to tell you what happened, man. I gave someone drinks, and then I told the manager they didn't order them, and I, I, I lied. And he's like, that's it? <laughs> and I was like, yes. I was like, I'm so sorry. Because I knew that I was in blatant rebellion in that place in my life against God's command. I self-inflicted guilt, shame, struggle, all that kind of stuff because I knew I was in blatant rebellion there. And so I said, he's like, you know what you need to do, right? I was like, yes, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to do it. So I went to the restaurant, sat down with the manager. And I didn't just sit down with any manager. I sat down with the manager who I lied to, okay? And I said, I got to tell you something. And he's thinking, like, what happened, man? Like, what's going on? Because they trusted me. They saw my integrity, everything. And uh, I'm like scared. I'm nervous. My hands are all sweating. And I'm like, hey, you know that other night where I asked you to take off these drinks because I said the couple, you know, the, the group, the couple, whatever, they didn't have drinks. I said, I lied to you. Um, they really had drinks. And I just wanted to, to hook them up, man. And I'm just, I'm so sorry. I just, I lied. I shouldn't have done it. And first of all, I felt like a burden just lift. Like, hey, man, I came clean. I'm right before God. And I'm also right with my neighbor. And I said, um. Yeah, I'm sorry. And he looked at me like, that's it? And I was like, yeah, that's it. He's like, all right, man. Yeah, that's not cool, but I really appreciate you coming and telling me and confessing to me what you did. He said, um, that's all good. And from that moment on, I had an even higher integrity in his eyes. Because I messed up, but then I came back and confessed it, and I never did it again. But it was self-inflicted, my struggle, everything that I was going through, it was as a result of my disobedience. I mean, some of us are struggling with the, our, our, our health, 
I was one time at Cesar's house, we were hanging out, and we had a bunch of friends over, and their girls were like, all right, we want you to go get food. So I'm like, all right, cool. So me and a couple of the guys, and Becky was pregnant at the time, so she was down to eat anything, right? And so all the guys we were there, and John's like, dude, let's do like a sampler platter. I was like, all right, that sounds cool. So we got chicken strip, fried chicken strips, we got mozzarella sticks, onion rings, french fries, all this kind of fried junk, right? We made it, and at the end of the night, dude, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I felt like nasty. So queasy, horrible. And I realized I was tearing my body up. I was self-inflicting pain and uncomfortability and unhealthiness upon my body. I wasn't stewarding the temple God gave me. But I couldn't be like, God, why am I got diarrhea right now? You know what I'm saying? I couldn't be on the toilet like, God, why are you letting me go through this? You've forsaken me. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that was a self-inflicted struggle. Some of us are doing that with our finances. We're taking what God has given us and we're spending it everywhere, giving the tithe, but we're spending all the rest everywhere. And we're like, God, I gave to you. I did what I was supposed to do, but now you're not proven faithful, God. But the reality is, Joseph, you went to the movies a little bit too much this month. You went to Wingstop a couple, a too many times this month. You know what I'm saying? You have a self-inflicted struggle in that situation, but now you expect God to deliver you from it. But see, then there's situations that are just life. There's situations that because of the fact that we live in a sinful world, a fallen world, that things just happen. People make choices in sin. And sometimes those choices affect us. And sometimes their decision and their sinfulness affects our lives. And it just happens. And sometimes things just happen. You know, there's a story of a man by the name of Ron Hagee. He's a Christian. And him and his brother, one morning, they wanted to go swimming because they love to surf. True story. So one morning they get up and they go. His brother's laying on the sand, just relaxing. And he goes in to get ready to jump in. And they're excited. He goes, he dives into a wave. And as he goes into the water, he hits a sandbar. His neck snaps back. And from the neck down, he instantly becomes paralyzed. I mean, someone super spiritual could be like, well, see, she should have had some discernment. You know what I'm saying? He didn't spend time with God in the morning, and that wouldn't have happened. Sometimes life just happens. Sometimes situations just happen. But you see, Ron Hagee did not give up. He endured in the midst of that. See, endurance, literally what it means is to stand up, to stand firm, to stand steadfast in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial, in the midst of weightiness. It means that to come, it's to come against a blockade and a barrier that seems unmovable, but yet you're not moved by it. It means to carry weight on your back, but not collapse under it. Knowing that you have the weight on your back, but you're not collapsing under it. Amen. See, Ron Hagee at that moment, he could have just said, my life's over. Forget it. I'm going to drown myself. I'm going to stick my head in water and drown myself. But Ron Hagee was a Christian. He had given his life to Jesus Christ and knew that there was more to his life than just the situation and circumstances that he was facing or that were dealt to him at that time. Ron Hagee begins to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he travels all around the world in a wheelchair proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the hope of Jesus. Ron Hagee didn't stop. He started painting. He started writing books with his mouth. He had a pen in his mouth and he would write. That took, that took change for him. That took struggle for him. You think, he, you think his jaw didn't get tired? You know what I'm saying? 
Like you think he probably didn't want to throw up having a paintbrush in his mouth for hours? But yet he endured in the midst of it and his life became a testimony to the world. What about that, the movie Soul Surfer? You guys seen that? About the young girl who was a Christian. She was surfing, getting ready for a competition. A shark came up, bit her arm off. They pulled her out of the water. She almost died because of a loss of blood. But a couple weeks later, she started talking to her parents about surfing again. She didn't let the struggle and the situation keep her from moving forward and what God had for her. Matter of fact, she went with world vision and she went overseas sharing the gospel and teaching other children how to serve. In the midst of struggle, her hope caused her to endure and to push through that. She didn't give up under the weight of it. She didn't crack under the weight of it. But she said, there is a Jesus that is alive. Something inside of me that this world needs. And I can't let my struggle, my situation, or my circumstance keep me from declaring the reign of Jesus in my life. Because it's not just a reign that happens one day when we die and one day when we're resurrected. But he's reigning now. And that hope is a living hope. You see, many times when we struggle, what tends to happen, we struggle in silence. But see, when you read the letters that Paul wrote to the early churches, he was very vivid and very open about the things that he went through. I mean, he tells them how he was beaten. He tells them how he was shipwrecked. He tells them how he was imprisoned. He tells tells them that people were after his life, that he was lowered down from a basket in the wall. Paul was open and vulnerable. Because he wanted them to know, if you're going to come to this Jesus, guess what? Life ain't going to be peachy. Everything ain't going to be great all the time. Matter of fact, some people might hate you and the heat may get turned up a little higher. But you got hope in the midst of it. He was vulnerable with them. And so we see that when he writes these letters, there's an openness of a life. But there's also an openness of hope. And it's the same thing. Paul says, you imitated me. As I imitated Christ. Because I saw that Jesus suffered. I saw that Jesus was beaten. I saw that Jesus was persecuted by the world. I saw that he was judged by the Roman leaders at that time. Yet he didn't quiver. I saw that he stood up. And when Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, yes, I'm a king. Because he knew that the father would raise him from the dead. And that all things belong to him. And Paul, he said, therefore, I can go through this type of suffering and persecution because I know my Jesus did. And you're watching my life. And now you can go through that type of suffering and persecution because you see that I'm doing it. And you see that the other apostles are doing it and the other leaders are doing it. Therefore, you got great hope. You see, that's something I love about Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny is that they are extremely vulnerable. Sometimes we might think to a fault. Like, dang, I don't need to hear all of that. You know what I'm saying? Y'all could have kept that in the house. But when they went through the struggle and situation with Alethea, like that inspired me to such hope in Jesus Christ. Because here they are believing for over eight years that they're going to have a daughter. And finally, they get impregnated. She gets impregnated. They go to the doctors. They say there's a baby there. As a church, they're telling everybody what's going on. They weren't quiet about the fact that they couldn't get pregnant. And then everybody were all excited. We're like, yeah, God's had a good time. I remember when he called me. I was in full theological seminary library. He calls me. I go into the hallway. And he's like, Joseph. He's like, son, he's pregnant. And I started crying. I was like, oh, snaps. I was like, heck, yeah, that's awesome. Because I knew the things that they felt and the things that they wrestled with all throughout that period. So she goes to the doctors weeks later because she's having pain. 
And the doctors say, I'm sorry, we don't know what happened, but your sack is empty. And she didn't suffer in silence. She didn't struggle in silence. Matter of fact, she, I mean, I bet she probably felt something during that time that hit her heart. I bet her heart dropped to, dropped to her stomach. But she was reminded of the promise that God gave her. Amen. She was reminded of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was living inside of her. And she came and she shared with us, you guys need to pray with me. Because the doctors say that my sack is empty. And there's no physiological reason. There is no natural reason or medical reason that this child should come back to my stomach. But you guys need to pray. And what happened? What happened? Weeks later, she goes back to the doctors. And what do the doctors say? Well, maybe we misdiagnosed it. Or um, we're not sure what's going on here. But um, there's a baby in your sack. Seeing the hope in the midst of that struggle and seeing God work in the midst of it, we saw the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, even if that child wasn't there, their hope would still not have been diminished. But they are absolutely vulnerable before us. Their lives are absolutely vulnerable. And what that looks like for us as a church, we have to learn how to struggle together. We have to learn how to suffer together. We have to learn to be vulnerable and be open. See, our culture is so individualistic and I hate that aspect of it. Because scripture and the gospel is extremely countercultural to us Americans in that way. It's extremely important to be an individual. It's extremely important to understand that we are equal in God's eyes. Matter of fact, that was one of the most common factors that united the church in the, in the early Christianity. You know why? Because when Paul would proclaim Jesus Christ, he'd write things in Galatians like, In Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither man nor woman. All are equal in Christ. So women could hear the gospel and rejoice because now they had authority in Christ. Now they can walk in God's eyes as those who are valued just as much as men. Slaves can hear the gospel and say, wow, that gospel's for me as well. It's not just for the rich master who's Roman or who's Jewish. It's not just for the one who has, who's a goody, do, goody two-shoes. It's also for me who has nothing and is absolutely broken and who owes my life to my master. And so it was a unifying factor during that time. You see, that's where we as a Christian church in America missed it. First of all, by enslaving the African Americans. But second of all, by when they were in America, the church did not rise up and say, okay, they're here. We need to deal with this and we need to extend the love of Christ to them. Rather, the slaves had to worship in swamps and had to worship in sheds. They had to worship secretly because the brothers at that time in the faith did not extend and go beyond the barrier of slavery the cultural barrier of slavery to say the gospel transcends that. And now we're one in Christ. Therefore, you are just as equal as I am. See, we've missed it in the past, but then no longer. It's time for us to rise up as a church and say, we're going to miss it no longer. We're going to struggle together. We're going to endure together. We're going to be vulnerable before one another because our hope is in the living God. Because our hope is in the Jesus who rose from the dead. Because our hope is in the one who reigns. Over all things. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's no setbacks. When you go through a struggle and when you go through a trial, when you go through a hard time, many times we see those things as setbacks. But let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. It will not be set back and God will never run in retreat. When Jesus stood next to Pilate, I mean, to the, to the, to the, to the early Jews at that time, to Peter and the other apostles, like, oh, dang, Gina, our plan is foiled. We're doomed. It's over. 
the one that we thought is really the Messiah and is God, the one that we thought is powerful, he's about to get crucified. The one who said he's powerful, he's about to suffer and endure death. Hold on, that just don't make sense. We're doomed. (laughs) But what did Jesus do in that place? He stood strong. He said, man, I don't get punked. The only authority you guys what my father gave you. And matter of fact, I'm becoming obedient to death. Death don't rule over me. Death don't reign over me. I'm, I'm laying down my divine right to rule as a son of God. And I'm giving myself for the world. When Isaiah and the, uh, when Hezekiah and the Assyrians came to Hezekiah and they tell him, look it, we wiped out all the other kingdoms. Y'all better back up because we're about to destroy you. I mean, no other gods of all the other countries were able to save them. And guess what? You're next. When, he- when Hezekiah went to Isaiah and told him what that king said, did God say to he- Hezekiah, sorry, bro, y'all in it. Y'all got this. I'm going to be praying for you up in heaven. Did God just abandon them and take out his protection and his love from them? Heck no. God went back to Isaiah and he said, you tell him this. I know where you sleep. You tell him you ain't punking me. I don't back down. I'm the God of all creation. I'm the sovereign Lord. I'm the one that created you and I can wipe you out. You tell him that whoever comes against my people are coming against me and I don't back down. And when Isaiah went back and told the king that, they all rejoiced and were like, all right, let's go. Because our God is with us. And if our God is for us, then who can be against us? And what did God do? He threw the whole Assyrian army into confusion. Now they started killing each other and fled. See, in the kingdom of God, there's no setbacks. Some of you are looking at your situation and you're like, dang. See, I thought I was doing good, right? But, um. Then you just took a couple steps backwards. Guys, you want to bail a brother out? But we need to begin to see our setup, our situations as setups. Some of you right now may be struggling financially. Some of you may have self-inflicted struggle because you did something foolish or did something against what God desired for you to do. Some of you may have just gone into a situation and it just seems absolutely horrible at your job or at your school or whatever. Let me tell you, it's a setup. You've got to begin to change the way that you see this. You've got to let your hope be the foundation of your endurance. You've got to let your hope inspire endurance in you and begin to see it as setups. You know, when we look around at bills, when we look around at different situations and things that we're going through, we could say, God, I'm set up to fail here. Man, Satan done got me. Man, I went to say hello to my wife and then she just smashed on me. And then she asked me this question, right? And I was like, she just trying to set me up. You know what I'm saying? She just trying to set me up. There's been times, and Andrea asked me one time, she said, baby, am I weird or am I just a freak? I was like, hold up. I was like, that's a setup. You know what I'm saying? Uh, how do I answer that? Are you weird or are you a freak? Um, a freak? <laughs> and she was like, I answered right, right? She answered right. It was good. And she's like, well, am I like a freaky freak or just a freak freak? I was like, Lord? And I answered right again. I'm not going to tell you what I said, though. All right? But 
in my situation, I was like, man, this is a setup. One time we're arguing, right? And uh, we're sitting there, and I was, I was in the flesh. It was heck of my fault. I, I set myself up to just struggle here. And I was like, I was saying something, and she was trying to be nice and loving. And I was like, but baby, see, and this and this and this. And she's like, babe, we'll talk about it later. You know, it's going to be all good. I'm like, oh, hold up, hold up. How come? And I was like, how do you start this? And then I got to go to work at the church right now, all mad and frustrated. And you say we can talk about this later. Oh, heck no. We're going to handle this right now. You know what she did? She looked at me. She walked over to me. She laid her hand into my head and said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. I just declare that you are a man of God. You have the mind of Christ. You are a man of integrity. You are a man of love. And she just began to declare the word of God over me. What I thought was a setup from the enemy was a setup for God's glory to be revealed through my wife. And I'm not going to lie. In that situation, my attitude just changed. I was like, amen. <laughs> and I just went to her. I was like, baby, I'm hecka sorry. I hecka love you. I just repent right now. I was like, please, though, don't call me the devil. You just, I rebuke you, Satan. I was like, baby, I'm a child of God. Baby, I'm a child of God. But you got to begin to see situations as setups from God rather than setbacks. When you're struggling financially, you're struggling in something, your hope inside of you, the hope of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ should move you to see that God can reign in that situation, that God can rule in that situation. You know, when I was working at Texas Roadhouse again, man, when I came in, I had a BA, right? I was like, shoot, I legit. I went to Patton, graduated BA, mm, educated. I start applying for work. I go to Texas right house. I'm like, yeah, we can hire you as a host. I'm like, host? Host what? Host this restaurant? Because, shoot, I got BA. Four years, baby. Up all night studying. Drinking rock stars before finals. I went some, through some stuff. I didn't go through some stuff to just host. But I begin to see that as a stewardship from God. I'm going to steward my hope in the midst of this. If I really believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I really believe that God reigns and rules in all things, then guess what? God is going to reign and rule in me at Texas Roadhouse as a host. And so here's what happened. I started off as a host for one month. And I did so well. Like, um, you want to sit down? I got a seat for you. You want some bread and butter? So good. Oh, you've never been here before? Oh, it's amazing. Matter of fact, I'm going to dance a little bit later. You can watch. And the managers watched how I interacted with guests. And you know what happened? A month later, they turned me into a table toucher. Now, let me tell you about what a table toucher is, all right? Table toucher was the thing that the managers did. The managers would walk around. They see some guests eating and say, how's that food? Tastes good? All right, come back, okay? Mm. How's that bread and butter? Nice and hot? All right, go ahead and buy some for $3. You can take some home. <laughs> How'd you like that dancing? Yeah, Joseph did good, huh? Yeah, no, sexy Mexican. <laughs> all right? They would walk around and check on the guests, make sure everything's good. And after a month of hosting, they asked me to do it. I was like, yeah, baby, I'm about to table touch, boy. I mean, I didn't get no raise or anything, but I was like, hey, if I'm a table touch, I'm going to do it with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ reigning through me. And guess what? People's lives are going to be changed as I table touch. And so I went around. Matter of fact, they said, man, you're doing such a good job. Here's what we need you to do. We need you to take these forms. We need you to get people to fill them out, put their emails on it, and they'll get free stuff for their birthdays and things like that. Can you do that? I was like, yeah. I never seen nobody else do it, but they asked me to do it. So I was like, okay. So I go by, and pretty soon, first night, 20. Next night, 30, 40, 50. And they're like, dude, how are you getting so many people to sign it? I was like, shoot, I'm just telling you they could get free stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you get free stuff. Everyone wants to sign up for that. And then they're like, whoa, how is this happening? 
You know what happened after that? They, after two months, they trained me as a server. After a number of months of serving, they asked me to become a server trainer. After a number of months of ser- being a server trainer, they asked me to be the head of weight, which means, I didn't know what that meant at the time, but it's like you stay up late, you get a free meal, and you help them count money and all that kind of stuff, right? So I was like, that's what's up. I stewarded the situation that I was placed in. I stewarded the thing that I was going was, was enduring at the time because I knew that Jesus was alive and Jesus reigns even in the midst of my work. And I'm going to use that work as an opportunity to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see, that happened actually in Thessalonians. Paul writes to them in both books, one and two, in both letters, he tells them, you need to, your lifestyle, basically what he says, he says, work with your hands. You saw the way that we live, now imitate it. Live a quiet life, so that way those who are looking on from the outside will see you and respect your life. He was saying people from the outside should look at the way in which you're operating on your job and they should see you living with hope on your job. And as a result of your hope that's in your heart, the way that you work should be a reflection of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How do you look on your job? How do you look in the situations that you're placed in? How do you look in the things that you're going through? Do you see those situations? Do you see your struggles as a setup for hope? Or do you see them as opportunities to complain about why God is letting you go through it? Or how come you're struggling through that? You see, our hope is not situational. Christians, men and women of God, you have to understand your hope is not situational. Your hope is rooted in Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. So that means that no matter what you go through, no matter what is dealt into your plate, that your life should reflect your hope in Christ. Your life should reflect endurance. People should be able to look at your life and see the way in which you go through struggle and see the way in which you go through situations and see Jesus resurrected. You see, our hope is in the resurrection. It's in Jesus' victory over sin and death. It's in Jesus' rescuing us from wrath that we will live and not only live with him one day in eternity, but that we'll live with him right here, right now, in the midst of everything that we go through. You see, hope is not God taking you out of struggle. Hope is not God preserving you from every type of hard thing that you would ever endure. Hope is not God saying, man, you came to faith in me now. I'm so proud of you. Come here, little baby. You're never going to struggle ever, 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 ever again. That is not hope. That is not hope. But you see what happens a lot of times in our lives. Our hope in the resurrection power of God working in our life becomes deferred and you know what happens when hope gets deferred scripture says that it makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is like the tree of life see hope deferred it makes the heart sick in john chapter 5 we see a man who was crippled for 38 years i mean think about this sometimes we're struggling and we got a situation and it's like going on for about a year right try 38 years 38 years. He was crippled. He could not walk. But not only that, every time the water was stirred and someone could be placed in there, he had nobody to pick him up and put him in there. No family. Nobody who seemed to care enough about him. Nobody who wanted to walk with him. Nobody who wanted to be with him in the midst of his struggle. So for 38 years, he's going through this. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he looks at him 
He heard about his situation and he looks at the man and says, do you want to get well? He didn't ask him, hey, can you explain to me your life story? He didn't ask him, can you tell me why you're in this situation? How come nobody loves you? I mean, you must just be bitter. You know what I'm saying? You got thousands of people around you and ain't none of them love you. You must be one of those bitter, old, unforgiving dudes. But Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get well? But what does the man do? See, the man is so disillusioned. The man is so enmeshed in his struggle and enmeshed in hopelessness, enmeshed in wanting to believe that one day someone's going to pick him up. But then nobody does. He's so enmeshed in the, in the fact that one day he's looking forward that when somebody walks by him, they'll just look at him and say, you need some help? But nobody does it. He's so enmeshed in all of this, so immersed in all of it, that the God of all hope was standing right in front of his face. Thanks. He was standing right in front of his face and he could not recognize him. And so Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And you know what he does? Well, see, let me tell you what happened, right? I can't. Nobody wants to pick me up and put me in there. I mean, Jesus, I mean, you, want, you asked me if I want to get well, but here's why I can't. You asked me if I want to get out of the situation and struggle that I'm going through, but here's why I can't. God, you asked me if I want a promotion and want to be moved up on that job, but here's why I can't, because I'm a host, God. And hosts are like punks, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're like the low level at the restaurant, God. Here's why I can't be a headweight. Here's why I can't be a server, God. See, God's looking at us in the midst of our struggle and situation, and he's saying, do you want to get well here? But I really believe many times we don't want to. And do you know why? Because guess what was going to have to happen? If he really entered into the hope of Jesus Christ at that moment, you know what was going to have to happen? He was going to have to get up. He was going to have to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. Nobody was going to carry him anymore. He wasn't going to be able to depend on other people to feed him anymore. He was going to have to be a steward of his body, stand up, go work out, turn the heat up, start eating better, and do what he needed to do to be healthy. He was going to have to go to class, take time to study, rearrange his schedule, rearrange his life, say no to people, say no to hanging out, and do what he needed to in order to get that degree. He was going to have to actually walk to a place where he can face a a boss and maybe get rejected and work for the very first time in over 38 years. You see, if he was going to respond to the hope that Jesus was going to give him, he was going to have to change. Sometimes we're looking for God to change our situation and struggle, and God's saying, are you willing to change? You want me to change your situation, but if I were to heal you, you're going to sit right back down on your butt and lay on the mat and keep asking people for money. Too often, too often, God is our last resort in struggle. Too often, he's our last resort when we're going through trying situations. Too often, we're so weighed down by why we can't or the excuse of how come nobody loves us and nobody else will do this, that God's saying, are you just ready to let me do it inside of you? And are you ready to steward what I'm going to give you and move you forward? And guess what? It's going to take work. It's going to take change. Matter of fact, you might have to rearrange your whole life. You might have to change your five or ten year plan. You might have to change the way that you interact with your family. Matter of fact, you might have to start loving some of them. But are you willing to receive the hope that I give you? And many times we allow that deferred hope. Well, God, I tried, but it didn't work. 
Guess what? Jesus didn't die on the cross and remain in the grave. You know, when I was going through a depression at high school, I was going on for about three to four years. And the one thing I kept telling myself was Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He did not die on the cross for my sin and remain in the grave. He did not just rise from the dead for me to be powerless. Jesus rose from the dead. So I know God is going to deliver me from this. Some of you are facing situations where your hope has been deferred. You tried and it didn't change. You tried to to persevere. You tried to endure and you're like, God, but it's not changing. It's not moving. Nothing's happening. I'm praying for that person, but they're not getting saved. I'm praying for that family member, but it's not happening in their heart. But guess what? Jesus is still alive. He still reigns and he's still resurrected. And until he dies and until he remains dead, your hope should never end. Situation, you know, my family here, it'll probably hit us deep. I have a brother right now who's in a mental hospital and he's been there for probably over eight years. And I've seen him at times try to kill himself. Extension cord wrapped around his neck. I banged on the door. He fell to the ground and I looked at him. The extension cords wrapped around his neck. And I can't tell you how many times I prayed for him. And I can't tell you how many times I fasted for him and believed for God to change the situation and change him in the midst of it. And Satan would try to jump on me and see, you prayed, Joseph, but God didn't change it. You believed, Joseph, but God didn't do it. You fasted, Joseph, but the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is not there. He would try to get me to forfeit my hope. But I'm here to tell you, God is going to use my brother. When I was in college, I was praying in the chapel, and God spoke to me, and he said, Joseph, your, your brother, his name is Chon, which is my father's name, Ascension. His name, it literally means ascension. His life is going to represent my ascending power. His life is going to reflect my resurrection power. And I'm going to tell you, there's times I want to pray, and there's times where the enemy jumps on me and says, it's not going to happen. Don't keep believing. It's been eight years. It's been ten years. And I have to say, my God is alive. Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And I don't care whether it's now or whether it's later, but his life will reflect the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. My hope will not be deferred beyond beyond it coming back alive again. I may get down for a moment, but you guess what? Just as Jesus rose from the dead, so my hope will rise again. And I can go through situation and struggle. And guess what you're going to see? The resurrection power of Jesus Christ living in my life. I am not exempt from struggle. I am not exempt from hardship. I am not exempt from persecution. I can't start complaining to God why he's letting me go through those things when Jesus died on the cross. Because God at the same time rose him from the dead. We have to begin to have a hope that is living. We have to begin to have a hope that the world can look at and say, I want that. How can you go through a recession, but yet you believe God to provide for you? How can you go through those struggles, and yet you're still joyful? Because that's what Paul was saying of the Thessalonian church. The world sees it, but yet they're turning to God because they see your joy in the midst of struggle. You see, with Dr. Martin Luther King, his whole life, his whole life and his death embodied this as well. It embodied the fact that one day he believed that not only in eternity would the nations come together and worship God as one, but he believed that it was possible here and it was possible now. You see, the world's called to see our hope and they're called to see our life and say, man, your hope is something that I don't have. They're called, the world is meant to see our struggle and see our situations and say, why can you have joy now? Why can you be happy why can, why, why, why can you see your family member die, but you rejoice over it? See, Paul told the Thessalonian church, we're not like those who mourn with no hope. Does that mean we don't mourn? No. When my grandfather died, my heart was broken. I would never see him again. 
until I saw him in heaven. So my heart weeped. My heart, I, I, I was sad. I, was, I thought about every time I go to my grandma's house, I'm reminded of the fact that I'm not going to see my grandfather again. But I, while I live here, but I know that one day I'm going to see him. Therefore, I can rejoice. I can mourn and feel the pain and feel the sorrow and feel the struggle. But at the same time, I can rejoice because one day I'm going to be joined with him in eternity in, with Christ and in Christ. Amen. We're not like those who mourn without hope. And so the world should look at those things in our lives and say, dang, we need this in our culture. Dang, we need this in our workplace. Dang, we need this in our families. You see what Martin Luther King was doing when he was standing in the hope that not only will all nations bow before God and people come together, black and white, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. He was believing that the word of God was true. In Revelations when it says every tribe and every tongue and every nation will bow at the name of Jesus, that they will join together and worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His life was perpetuated by the inspiration of hope and because of his hope it led him to impact the culture that he lived in and the world could look at it and say dang i want what you got i want what you got some people in the world could look at it and say well i hate you because of it but at the same time others will say we need what you got and as a result he rose up and his life transformed the culture to the point where now black and white can worship together in the same church where now jew and gentile can worship together in america He rose up because of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the midst of being beaten, in the midst of being imprisoned, in the midst of being shot. He did not allow his circumstance, situation, or the things in which he would endure in this world keep him from standing firm on the hope and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We as a church need to begin to rise up. Our hope should transform our culture. They should see in it. They should see that hope of Jesus Christ in us and long for it. If our life reflects our hope, if our response in the midst of struggle and situation reflects our hope, what is your life reflecting? Are you complaining? Because guess what? If you're going through a little situation, you're crying about why God has left you and forsaken you. First of all, you're deceived and you don't believe in the truth that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Second of all, You don't believe then that God is in control. So you got to begin to shift your heart back to the hope that's in Christ, that he is alive, that he does reign and he rules over all things, not only for eternity, not only in the kingdom to come, but in the kingdom that we live in as Christians here and now in the midst of the world. And when we begin to live that way with that type of hope, the world's going to look in outside of us to say, you're not only different because you don't drink or don't smoke or don't chew like PB says or go with girls that do, but you're different because in the midst of struggle and persecution, you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Father, today, we desire to live with that hope And some of us have come in today, Lord God, and we feel way down. We look at our struggles and they are valid. Lord God, our feelings are valid. The feeling that the man felt that he had nobody to carry him, it was valid. But just as valid and just as true, if not more powerfully true, was the reality that Jesus Christ stood in front of him and said, do you want to be made well? And so today, God, we pray that our lives would reflect the living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when we go through struggle and we go through trial, that people can look at us and see the joy that's given by the Holy Spirit. That they can look at the way that we endure. 
God, it's time for us to stop being punk Christians because our God does not get punked. It's time for us to stop living as a weak and powerless people. Men and women of God, I declare to you that you are strong today. You are strong today. You are more than conquerors through him who loved you. And the resurrection power of Jesus Christ lives in you. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you. And while your situation may not change, you can change in the midst of it. And you can reflect the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Not only can you, but you're meant to. You're destined to. And so, Father, this morning I declare that we are going to be a people that is victorious because our God is victorious. We're going to be a people that goes through struggle but looks to you, God, not runs from you. We're going to be a people that is vulnerable before one another and that lives and moves in you, God. And we're going to be a people that reflects to this world that our Jesus not only died, but he rose again, that all men will stand before him, that he will return, that he reigns, and that he reigns in us right now. If there's anyone here where you, maybe you don't have this hope because you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ and you don't know who he is, this morning I want to give you an opportunity to enter into that hope. That if you were to die, that you would live with Christ for eternity. But not only would you live with him for eternity, but that eternity would begin now. And you would begin to live with God and recognize that his desire is to live and to rule in your life. And if that's you this morning, I want you just to slip up your hand and we want to pray with you to come and enter into that living hope that God offers. Don't worry about what people are thinking or who's around you. Every head bow and every eye closed. If that's you and you want to come to Christ today and you want to enter into that hope, I want you just to slip up your hand. Well, church, it's time that we live as Christians who have a living hope. It's time that we take our hope into our workplace. We take it into our families and we take it into our situations. And we don't let those things determine whether we're going to walk with joy or not. But we steward it. We steward this hope that God has given us. And when trials come, we don't bury that hope. And when struggle comes, we don't hide that hope. But matter of fact, when we go through those types of things, we uphold that hope even more. And we endure because that hope inspires us. Father, I declare that we are going to live as that church and we are going to steward the hope that we have been given in Jesus Christ. We love you. We honor you. We thank you today, God. We worship and glory in the resurrection power of God that's in our lives and we will stand in faith and we will live it out, God. Come and reign in us today, God. Come and rule in us today. Let's end with this. Everybody just stand up to your feet right now and I want you just to lift up your hands to God and I want you just to begin to ask him to come and rule and to reign in your life like never before. I want you right now to ask the Holy Spirit to inspire your heart with, with hope like never before. Spirit of God, infuse your church with hope right now. Lord God, let them take this hope to the world. Let us take this hope to the world, God. Let us be like Dr. Martin Luther King, who went into this culture, and Lord, the, the culture and the world looked to, looked to the church, and the culture and the world looked to him, a believer, to inspire change. God, let the world look to us, and may as they look to us, let us point them to you, because you are the God that rules, and you are the God that reigns, and you are the God that lives in us, and the God that lives through us. And the God that never leaves us. And the God that never forsakes us. God, we are going to be a victorious people. We are going to be a hopeful people. We worship you today. We worship you today.
If you believe that, just give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Amen.